Hello, and welcome to Poor Richard's Podcast, brought to you by the Association for Diplomatic Studies and Training, home of the world's largest collection of diplomatic oral histories. Visit us at our website, adst.org. At the beginning of the 1960s, U.S. foreign policy had two bugbears, the Soviet Union and Cuba. Fidel Castro had come to power in 1959, and the United States wished to prevent another Cuban revolution, enacting policies like the Alliance for Progress, designed to forestall revolutionary tendencies by encouraging moderate reforms. But the United States was nonetheless worried about potential leftist revolutions springing up across the region. That dynamic certainly played out in Ecuador. When Ambassador Maurice Birnbaum arrived in the country to replace the previous appointee, who had died four days into the job, perennial president José María Velasco Ibarra was in office. However, the military soon deposed him, and Ecuador elected his vice president, Carlos Adrosemena, the new president. However, as Birnbaum soon found out, Adrosemena, a committed leftist, did not always support U.S. policies or interests. Matters came to a head when Arosemena drunkenly insulted the United States at a banquet, an event the military used as an excuse to overthrow him. Birnbaum had previously served as the deputy chief of mission in Ecuador, and he served as ambassador from 1960 to 1965. He subsequently became the ambassador to Venezuela until 1969 when he retired. Birnbaum was interviewed by Charles Stuart Kennedy on January 13, 1988. He starts by discussing the relationship between Ecuador and the Alliance for Progress. Very early in, the, in my period there, we had the Alliance for Progress. And our prime interest was to make the Alliance, apply the Alliance for Progress in Ecuador to get them to accept our assistance and make use of it. We had a problem there. The Ecuadorian government, of course, was very much interested in whatever assistance we could give them. They were always a bit suspicious of our motives. They never could quite believe that uh, we didn't want to get some political advantage out of it, and I always tried to assure them that that wasn't so. But one of their big problems was that they had uh, most of their uh, revenues were earmarked for autonomous agencies. And it was very difficult then for the government to furnish its share of the projects which were being financed under the Alliance for Progress. And that was one of the problems I had all the time. I used to travel around the country pushing for collaboration. I used to spend a lot of time with the president, uh, who was not very pro-American. He had problems when he was in the embassy in Washington. How effective was this in Ecuador? And what form did it take? Intensified training and the granting of loans to do, to do the job that we thought should be done in the country and that they wanted. The main obstacle to that was what I described before, the inability of the Ecuadorian government to furnish its part of the cost. We were asking them to furnish only about 20% of the cost of these projects, and we were extending loans on, a, on the basis of no interest for 10 years, and in fact, we gifts. But I do think that uh, a lot of good had been done, and eventually it deteriorated. Birnbaum next offered an unvarnished assessment 
of Orozimena's personal qualities. He was a he was a very complicated individual. His fa his uh, father had been a, a president of Ecuador. He came from one of the first families in Guayaquil. He was all, more or less a maverick in his community. Uh, he was addicted to drinking. He was a dipsomaniac, and uh, somehow or other he uh, always seemed to be interested in stirring things up. I remember one time when he uh, insulted the Chinese ambassador. He was a little bit drunk at the time as vice president. Another time when he insulted the Colombian ambassador. He always wanted to stick needles in people. And we used to have some conversations about that. His problem was that he couldn't stay away from the buff. The president, Kennedy, had made an imprudent comment to uh, Orozamena's brother, that he might uh, invite the, uh, the Ecuadorian president to visit the United States. And when I heard about it, I wrote and said, don't do it because this man's a dipsomaniac and you don't know what he's going to do there. So it was held off for quite a long time. Although Cuba was one of the main buckbears of American foreign policy, Birnbaum refused to offer an opinion on the golf course when Arosemena asked him whether he should break relations with Cuba or not. He was under pressure from the military uh, to break with Cuba, and he didn't want to break with Cuba. And I'll always remember this, I can tell it now. I was playing golf one Saturday, and his aide came along to say the president wanted to speak with me. And so I came back, and this was always a, a topic of conversation between us. I, he was always kidding me about playing golf. And I said, Mr. President, you did a terrible thing. I was about to win that tournament, and you pulled me off the golf course. He said, in a good cause. He said, I'm being pressured by the military to break relations with Cuba. What do you think about it? So that's your baby, not mine. And he tried in every which way to get me to commit me to telling him what to do, and I wasn't going to do that. And finally he said, uh, well, he said, I'm wondering whether I shouldn't have a plebiscite in the country on that subject. What do you think about it? I said, I will then express an opinion. You just divide the country. It seems to me that would be silly. In that case, I'd suggest it would be far better not to break than to have a, than to have a plebiscite. So that ended the conversation, and later that evening, the Minister of the Interior came over to say that the President had broken with Cuba. Well, what was he trying to do? To get you to commit yourself and then to say... Uh, I think probably he was trying to say he was forced by the U.S. to break. It wasn't this uh, our policy to try to have the South American countries break with Cuba? Oh, sure. But the question was, how do you do it? We had Nat Adlai Stevenson visiting. He made a swing around Latin America shortly after Kennedy was elected. And uh, uh, one of his purposes was to convince the various governments to break. And I remember a conversation we had with Velasco Ibarra, who was uh, not at all sympathy. He thought we were a country of barbarians. He was more or less a, Franco a Francophile and, mm -hmm. and an American pope. But he did respect Adlai Stevenson. That was one American he thought was a really fine individual. And every time Stevenson would make a point, uh, the old man <laughs> would rebut him by saying, well, Governor, 
page so-and-so of the book you wrote, you said something to the contrary. <laughs> or you made a speech on a given date when you said something to the contrary. And finally, Stevenson had to give up. <laughs> we, uh, but uh, we did not, aside from that, uh, ever express an opinion to the government about what they should do. Finally, events came to a head. Birnbaum recalls an incident at a banquet where Arosa Mena insulted the United States as a prelude to the military coup that eventually overthrew the president of Ecuador. Well, as a, as a background to that, Arosa Mena had been involved in various incidents due to drunkenness. And one of them was when he met the uh, Peruvian president at the airport in Guayaquil and was drunk. Said around there that if it hadn't been Christmas, he would have been overthrown then, but they couldn't get the military together enough. The uh, president of the Grace Line, former Admiral McNeil, I believe his name was, uh, visited Ecuador with his wife, and the president gave a banquet for them because they had been nice to his wife. They had inaugurated some new vessels, and uh, they had her uh, travel to the United States on one of these vessels in the inauguration. So I just distinctly remember this. This is out in the press. I showed up. His apartments were above the offices. So I showed up in his apartment where I expected the party to take place. And he was there with a few of his ministers, including the foreign minister. And he was already half gone. So I walked in. He said, Ambassador, have a drink. And I said, well, Mr. President, let's go downstairs. We'll have the drinks there. Anyway, the foreign minister came along and said, let's get him downstairs before he just goes <laughs> under. So we got him down there, and uh, he made a speech decorating the admiral, and he neglected to mention my presence. And whenever he was annoyed with the U.S. for one reason or other, he'd always neglect to recognize my presence. So I knew something was up. And uh, we got to dinner, we're on the soup course. And he got up, by that time he was really pretty much under the influence of liquor, and he made a long rambling speech in which he attacked the U.S. government for exploiting Ecuador without mercy. Well, of course you can imagine the reaction. And then he turned to me and said, you agree with me, don't you, Mr. Ambassador? <laughs> I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. So I said, no, Mr. President, uh, when you're speaking of the, of the government, you're speaking of the American people, because he had spoken highly of the American people as being distinct from the government. Then he turned to one of his ministers at the other side of the table and said, Paco, you agree with me, don't you? Well, this minister at that part was studying the molding on the ceiling. <laughs> and finally, he said, no, Senor President. So Rosa Mena got up, and he staggered out. And Dinner continued. Finally, we got up. The various ministers came along and said, you're not going to make anything of this, are you? And I said, no, I know his condition. I don't know what brought it on, but I'm sure he wouldn't have done it if he was sober. And the, uh, I remember it was the subsecretary of foreign affairs came along and said, it makes no difference what you say. He said, the three chiefs of the armed forces who were at that dinner have just decided that this is it. This guy's gone too far. And they just, they're going to throw him out of power. Well, what happened the following day was that we were giving a farewell luncheon for our armed services attaché. 
and one of the members of the newly appointed junta came over to bring his wife, uh, Colonel Gundera. Mm -hmm. Now, this is quite a coincidence, which is interpreted by virtually everybody as indicating that we're, we were in on the overthrow. And I asked Gundera at the time, I said, what's going on? He said, well, we decided that we just had to oust him. He said, if we hadn't done it, the uh, ranks would have done it. Then he left. He was uh, flown to Panama. Well, this came up. I, I was interviewed about it. I reported it to Washington, and it was reported in Time magazine, and more or less what I told you was repeated there. That was Maurice Birnbaum speaking on U.S. relations with Ecuador's Carlos Arosemena. ADST is an independent nonprofit organization. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please support our work by making a tax-deductible donation at ADST.org. Thank you for listening.